This is the Candidly Kim Podcast. Welcome to the Candidly Kim Podcast. We've got a great show tonight. We are here with Jonathan Butcher, who just walked off the stage of the CRT Forum. That is uh, looks like to be a pretty good uh, full house out there, a big, important topic on the minds of parents and uh you know, the general public that is concerned about this issue. So we have like one of the nation's experts on this subject, and we're going to talk about several things. We're going to talk about uh, school choice as well, some education choice, um, some model uh, policies, some initiatives out there, and some of the research that uh, Jonathan's been involved in. So I want to tell you a little bit about Jonathan. I met Jonathan uh, when I was serving on the an education task force with ALEC, with the American Legislative Exchange Council, and then I served as the chair of the Center to Protect Free Speech, where um, a, a lot of you know that that's been kind of my issue, the, the campus free speech issues. And, and if you've also been following, you know that we ran legislation for six years and really uh, had trouble in a uh, supermajority Republican legislature, Republican governor to to get this passed. And we now have it in kind of a soft form uh, where uh, we recognize the standards that we tried to get uh, in legislation for years. Uh, but there's just no penalties or consequences for schools that continue to violate students' rights to free speech. And, and I think for the six years that we talked about it in education, um, task forces and education coalitions, uh, it was it, it was fairly conceptual with lots of problem anecdotes and stories of, of students whose rights have been violated in, in this way. But now we've come around the corner and we see some of these education issues that um, I just did you ever imagine we would be where we are in America in education and public education and the things that are being taught to our students and the the way that students and parents have have been silenced and shamed and most recently threatened as as criminals as, as being labeled as even domestic terrorists so so again let me uh, tell you a little bit about Jonathan Butcher uh, he is um, is the Will Skillman Fellow uh, in Education at the Heritage Foundation. Uh, he is the author of Splintered, uh, Critical Race Theory, and the Progressive War on Truth. So I'd love you to talk about that, about the book a little bit. Um, and served as the South Carolina State Charter School Board. So that's very interesting to me as I'm a, a founder of one of the longest-running charter schools in Utah, uh, Monticello Academy. In 2017, he was co-recipient of the State Policy Network's Bob Williams Award for the most influential research for a proposal to protect free speech on campus. And some of that work was alongside Stanley Kurtz, also um, Alec, uh, in, in where we were all working on some of this policy together, uh, Jim Manley at the Goldwater Institute. Jonathan previously served as the education director at the Goldwater Institute, so you may remember his work there as well, uh, and he still remains a senior fellow. A member of the Arizona Department of Education's first steering committee for the Empowerment Scholarship and accounts, and that's the nation's first education savings account program. So, um, so let's touch on all of that <laughs> just a little bit. Um, really, just thank you for being with us tonight and your traveling. So, uh, thank you for making well, it's great time. to be here. Thank you. <laughs> 
Okay, you just walked off the stage of the, the CRT, Critical Race Theory um, Forum here in Utah. Uh, what do we need to know about this? Bes besides that it doesn't really exist, and anybody that thinks it does is crazy. So you're the king of crazy um, and uh, trying to stoke, you know, make-believe. Well, I'm, I'm in good company. I, I have some colleagues at Heritage and in other institutions like uh, Chris Rufo and Parents Defending Education who are also working very hard to protect children from racial discrimination. And that's really what we're after. I think what is new, you made a great comment at the beginning talking about how the position that we're in today with parents and schools and how have we ever been in this situation before. And I do think that because public schools live at the intersection of a public policy and culture that we have been here, right? I think there has always been a tussling over what kids are taught because parents have values and beliefs and it's different from community to community. What's different though is what you said next, which is the intimidation of parents and to have a, a government being driven by a special interest group, and I'm talking about the National School Boards Association, actually compel them to call parents dangerous. Right, right. And, and what the nth degree of being labeled a domestic terrorist it is pretty significant. I mean, that is a crime. Oh, that I is mean, a they... federal crime. And and these are these are our parents. And so there is a debate right now, a very active mm -hmm. debate just in the last two to three days, mm -hmm. is do parents have the right to mm -hmm. influence mm -hmm. the the uh, content of the education? Do parents have the right to show up to a school board meeting and demand that something be taught or not be taught? And the fact that there is somebody on the other side of that are argument saying yeah no they don't mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. you you've spoken about this recently so what is the parent right well sure i mean this? they most certainly do i mean not only are they parents but they're also taxpayers and voters right they elect the school board members who are supposed to represent them i mean school boards have responsibilities right mm -hmm. it is a part of their responsibility to choose the curriculum and the textbooks as well as a variety of other operational policies that a school board or that a school mm -hmm. district will operate under right um, but to say that <clears throat> that as a um, a school board, you can override or ignore what your parents are telling you is nonsense, right? It's their responsibility to be reflecting what the voters that put them there, you know, for. <laughs> so it's facially absurd, but it, it also just makes no logical sense. These are people that have to stand before those same voters at That's some right. point That's and right. justify that they just spent time telling you to go away, shut up, you don't, you're dumb. Um, and we just saw there's a there's a video that's gone out of a school board member who really, um, under her breath, was caught on a hot mic disparaging a parent that mm -hmm. was was speaking very you know um, sincerely about these things. And it's just sort of that. What is it? Is it arrogance? Mm -hmm. What is it? Well, it's hard to say what the motivation is. I would argue uh, that there's always a, a struggle for power over uh, both at the local level, at Congress, you know, wherever you go, right? And you know this very well from the state mm -hmm. legislature. Uh, I think what school board members really should know is that uh, Axios, a news site, was reporting earlier this year that about 51 uh, recall elections have either been staged or a political effort begun to stage them between January and July of this year. That's double the number in, of the entire year in 2020. So just so you know, voters aren't taking this lying down. No, and and that's education is at the forefront of these things. And whether it's been uh, the the COVID responses, mm -hmm. lockdowns. Uh, 
forced mask wearing or that parents all of a sudden started looking over their child's shoulder in a Zoom class, which mm -hmm. interestingly, um, there was an effort across the country at different places to make sure parents couldn't do that, mm -hmm. that some parents were, were being restricted from being able to look over their shoulders. And then all of a sudden they found some things, they saw some things mm -hmm. that troubled them. Mm -hmm. I. I wonder if it wasn't for that, you know, if if uh, parents would maybe still be in the dark about some of that. But for whatever reason, these mm -hmm. things have, have come together. And um, just absolutely crazy. I, I watched the Merritt Gar Garland mm -hmm. uh, hearings about um, the letters, uh, the, the letter that um, came from the National School Boards Association encouraging than that conversation about parents being criminalized as essentially demanding terrorists. i mean i think in encouraging is is doesn't even get that far i mean i think and there is evidence from emails that the school board association worked with the white house prior to the release of the letter and then the staff of the school board association sent the letter and now the board of the National School Board Association is apologizing for having sent the letter in the first place. So it's all okay now because they apologized. <laughs> so um, yeah, it's all okay and we can move on now because they apologized. <laughs> well, the, the issue now is that state school board associations are leaving. So right. Pennsylvania, Ohio, Louisiana, uh, Missouri, uh, New Hampshire just announced. I think there are five now. So I just want to make a quick point that I got a phone call from a mom really, really upset the other day that we that Utah was not on the list of uh, state boards withdrawing, and that's because we're not in it in the first place mm -hmm. anyway. So uh, there's another association out there that uh, that Utah participates in. So, so, so don't go crucify the state board for not joining the list. They were kind of smart enough in the first place to mm -hmm. not join it. CRT. What do you want us to know about CRT? So I'll say two things. So let's talk about the background very briefly. And then I want to talk about a myth that I think is in the media all the time. So the background, where does it come from? Critical race theory came from critical legal theory, which swept through law schools in the 1970s, which itself came from critical theory, which is a neo-Marxist idea that came out of Germany in the 1920s. And the, a group of uh, largely Jewish scholars, and that's important for a moment, uh, were developing this concept that uh, Marxism had failed in Germany while it had succeeded in Russia, and so they were very frustrated as Germans and were looking for a way to rejuvenate Marxism. They combined it with sort of a relativistic view that there's no authentic truth. The Nazis chased these uh, uh, Jewish intellectuals out of Germany, and eventually they bounced around Europe, landed at Columbia University in 1937. That's where they settled and influenced generations of academics. A mm -hmm. uh, quick example, Herbert Marcuse, one of the original from the Frankfurt School, which is what that group was called, uh, his most famous student was Angela Davis, who of course was the um, uh, suspected of providing guns to a group of, of violent uh, uh, radicals who murdered a judge in California in the 1970s. She was on the FBI's most, 10 most wanted list. Anyway, so you have this, this move from critical theory emanating out of Marxism into critical legal theory, which said that uh, American law is systemically oppressive. And the critical race theorists in 1989, led by Derrick Bell, Kimberly Crenshaw, and others, said the critical legal theorists were almost right. They, they got almost there, but we have to add race on top. It's not just American law that's systemically oppressive. America is irredeemable. America is systemically racist and will always be. 
and there's no fixing that. And in fact, that was the title of, of Derek Bell's book, Faces at the Bottom of the Well, The Persistence of Racism, or it might have been The Permanence of Racism, but either way, right? It's that it's always there, there's nothing that we can do. So, so that's where it came from. Uh, the myth that really has to be broken today is that critical race theory is not in K-12 schools and that it's not happening. And Okay, and that is, that is the, the mantra here mm-hmm. in Utah. Mm-hmm. It doesn't really exist. In fact, I, I spoke to a school administrator that I'm fairly close to recently that just said, you know, it really isn't in our schools. It's mm-hmm. just not. What should parents look for? Mm-hmm. Um, like a lot of things that we get from the left, it's it's sort of packaged neater. That's right. Um, or stealthily um, and camouflaged. What does it look like and what should we be looking for? So sometimes they'll use the words critical race theory. So you can see Portland Public Schools has a critical race theory working group. They post their videos online. Um, The Hayward Unified Public School District across the bay from San Francisco put out a memo to their school community saying that they're going to keep critical race theory in the classrooms, et cetera. So sometimes they'll just use the words. Mm -hmm. Other times it will go under the guise of diversity, equity, and inclusion, uh, multicultural education, um, lately, it's been showing up in socio-emotional learning textbooks. Uh, it takes the form of um, revised math today. There's actually a curriculum that was created and funded by the Gates Foundation that large districts such as LA are using today called, um, uh, it's called, uh, oh, I can't even remember what the title is. It's a math curriculum, though, that reorients all math instruction around critical race theory. And it says that you Mm -hmm. need to teach math in order to teach students to be uh, revolutionaries and uh, that, you know, to uh, to go out from underneath the white oppression. And so this is a part of the math curriculum that it's based around. So uh, diversity, equity, inclusion, those are, um, they're aspirational things Mm -hmm. that aren't wrong in and of themselves. So how do those things Um, enter our schools in a way that should concern us? That's a great question. They are benign terms, if not, you know, beneficial ideas, right? Um, But diversity will show up in mandatory affinity groups, where you will have a school separate students based on the color of their skin for different school activities, which, by the way, is illegal. But Uh, (laughs) there's a lawsuit in Illinois right now where a teacher has said, this is what they did. And so she's suing the Evanston School District. Uh, Same thing, uh, well, I mean, look, Boston Public Schools has on their website that they will use affinity groups. So I don't think they're being shy about this idea that we should separate students based on the color of their skin. So diversity, equity is replacing equality, right? Equality mm-hmm. means that the law is, um, it, you are all equal under the law, right? The law right. Is, is not a, um, uh, it will not discriminate based on your immutable characteristics. Equity means that the government will generate the same outcomes for everyone, which of course can only be done through coercion. Right. And there are school right. boards today who are putting in their mission statements that they will generate the same outcomes for all students, which for students at the bottom of the uh, achievement scale, that's bad news. Um, inclusion is actually exclusion. You have the Black Lives Matter movement pushing these 13 goals, which include the idea that they want to disrupt the nuclear family. Mm-hmm. So inclusion for everybody else, except if you're in a nuclear family. Wow. Okay, so what's the answer? What do we, what do, we do? And sometimes it, parents um, don't always feel empowered to go 
or um, they feel empowered to go, but they don't always have the right language mm-hmm. or, or the right focus. And, and what, do, what can we use? What are good tools to approach our our education governors with? Well, so I think the first is do speak at your school board meeting. I mean, you know, the idea that you should be able to go and express, you know, practice free expression is one of the oldest of American values. Uh, No one should act in violence. No one should practice censorship. But yes, right, the school board and the school board meeting, that is the place in which we should have a conversation about our culture. Um, so that's the first. I, I think secondly, and something that we've been working on at the Heritage Foundation and has been picked up by different states, including uh, parts of Texas's proposal, Louisiana, New Hampshire, uh, South Carolina, is this idea that in um, a state proposal, you can say no teacher or student should be compelled to um, affirm, profess, believe any idea that violates the Civil Rights Act of 1964. So ideas such as America is systemically racist or individuals based on the color of their skin should receive additional benefits or sanctions, right? Um, so that's the first part of the proposal and that none of those ideas should be a part of K-12, school, K-12 curriculum or different um, uh, professional training programs. Okay, so now um you pointed out that a lot of this took decades to develop, decades mm-hmm. to develop. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're a cynical parent <laughs> mm-hmm. or maybe a realist parent, mm-hmm. we're not going to change that back overnight either. Mm-hmm. Um, so what, what do you advise to parents that, you know, the life, a, a year in the life of a child is, is really very impactful, very, um, very long, and do we have time to wait to have our education revolutions and mm-hmm. turn over school boards and things like that and have curriculum re- rewritten. Um, what do you advise to parents that it's, it's or it's not happening, they're mm-hmm. stuck in the California school, mm-hmm. yeah. that there's no interest in changing these things. Yeah. So, so kind of touching on school choice initiatives mm-hmm. out there, mm-hmm. um, what are you seeing across the country? What's working? 2021 was a big year for school choice. We had uh, 18 states create or expand existing school choice programs. I mean, that's very exciting. Never had that that number uh, happen all in the same year. And Utah was one that we that's right. we that's right. uh, passed our first uh, tax credit scholarship program. It's um, called Children First Education Fund, and um, it has an ESA component to that as well. So we're very excited, hoping that grows. Um, I'm very involved in that effort as well in our state, but. Yeah, and that's exactly what we're seeing in places like uh, North Carolina, which has an ESA program. Arizona, as you said, has the oldest in the nation. Florida now has the largest in the country. West Virginia just passed one that will be available to every child can apply in the state of West Virginia. So that's incredible. So Utah's right now uh, only benefits students with disabilities. Mm -hmm. Uh, But watching our our Florida governor announce uh, a couple months ago that they were expanding it to include all kinds of students. It's almost every student, effectively. Mm -hmm. Um, Arizona also does. Has a variety of categories. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So just about every student can um, access one of these scholarships in in some of our states. We're just starting Mm -hmm. in Utah. It's it's a baby program, so I hope we we uh, keep moving. So on on the ESA, you've had some, you've worked on some ESA uh, research. 
And what can you tell us about that? Yeah, my latest report for the John Locke Foundation, they're headquartered in North Carolina, looked at the most recent, uh, the, the youngest ESA program and how the first couple of years of that program went for parents. So the, so the early adopters, how did they use their child's account? And I found that uh, more than 60% of these families use their child's account exactly in the way that ESAs were intended, which is for more than one education product or service simultaneously. Nice. So it's not not just a scholarship, which is great, right? Vouchers and private school scholarships have served kids around the country for years. But with an ESA, you can pay for a textbook. You can pay for a personal tutor. You can pay for educational therapies for a child with special needs. You can pay for private school tuition. You can save for college, right? And so you have families all over North Carolina using the account, using the accounts in these very flexible ways. And that's very exciting as we think about the 21st century, right? And as we think about, you know, what education is going to look like in the future. Well, exactly. And and for Utah's, again, I'm just going to plug this real quick, childrenfirsteducationfund.org. Uh, that ESA component, it, it, the scholarship does cover tuition to private schools, but it also covers that, that whole range. Uh, therapies mm-hmm. uh, by licensed, uh, you know, clinical therapists, but also the textbooks, the courses, the online courses, things like that, those those supplemental things. And so, so we can envision a family really creating a very customized education for their child. And that should not be so unique, and mm-hmm. it should not be hard to access. It shouldn't be unusual, right? It shouldn't be the exception to the rule, right? right? It should be what is available to every family. So we're hoping we get there um, as, as a state, and, and I do hear that, you know, there's some legislation coming and so what else are you working on that you're watching that you'd like us to pay attention to so my book yeah my book splintered will be out in march Uh, it's available for pre-order now on amazon and the book talks about not just critical race theory and its origins like we were talking about here but this issue of free speech on campus because i think there has been as people have watched the shoutdowns and um the heckler's veto and the disinvitations and all the different ways in which you've seen speakers uh, lose their ability to listen and be heard on college campuses, I think that, you know, we appropriately addressed it as a free speech issue, but it was coming from students who had been immersed in these ideas from critical theory for years from their professors. Right. Yeah, absolutely. That's what I felt the pushback was. Students to administrations who pushed back on on our legislation. So uh, this is what I need to know. How soon will Splintered be on audio so that I can listen to it when I'm in traffic? <laughs> All right. Well, I know that it's being released March 8th is the date that we've got so far. Uh, we're trying to get it out as soon as we can. I think the paper shortage is, is hurting uh, uh. authors like me. So, uh, But we're, we're excited, and I, I hope that it will be available in every, every format as soon as we can. That's great. That's great. So I'd love to talk to you about it when it comes out and uh, maybe have you come back again because you do great work in Heritage. I love Heritage and, and the you. great value they are uh, to our country on, on really good issues surrounding our freedoms and just core American values. And so um, I want to thank you again for being on with us. Uh, where can people follow you? Where are you? In social media? So you can find us at heritage.org. You can find our critical race theory work at heritage.org slash CRT. I'm on Twitter at JM underscore butcher. Okay. And um, any of the other platforms? 
Um, no, there's I'm not so very too good many. At that. Like, oh, I know, to keep I can't track, keep up. Right? Um, okay, and uh, can you plug Heritage Action, or do do you, are you firewalled with Action? Sure. I mean, Heritage Action is our great sister organization. They work uh, around the country, both at the state level as well as in Washington. And uh, you know, they they work very hard to uh, provide transparency over what mm-hmm. is going on with our elected officials, as well as with uh, holding them accountable for what they told voters they were going to do. So absolutely, I was grateful for that. Um, so I just want to put a plug out to everybody out there. Um, sometimes your school board races, your state board of education, they might not be the most exciting um, races out there, especially come 22 where there's just going to be so much on the ballot, so many issues out there. But, you know, we're learning now how absolutely uh, vital it is to be involved in that local school board election. Talk to if you don't like what's coming out of a teacher in a classroom you know, talk to the teacher uh, if you have to uh, go to the principal and then to your school board rep. You all have one. You, you all have a school board rep and you have a state board of education that uh, we will have some pretty good um, uh, com- competitive elections next year for state board of education. Um, and a, a lot of a number of the board members would like to make some changes in these areas that we're talking about to make sure students um, are not compelled to try to adopt things that go against even their families um, sincerely held beliefs or their own so a lot of work to do so so follow these races uh, watch Jonathan follow a lot of great um, information he's putting out there along with heritage so uh, thank you so much for being with us tonight and uh, we look forward to being with you next time have a good night